Welcome to Shadow Life. On this episode of The Roman Files, Roman and the Texaco Star. Laura was at her wit's end with Roman. As she was leaving the police station with Roman in tow, she rummaged through her purse for her pills. Thank God, buried at the bottom was her salvation. What was she supposed to do with him, she kept asking herself. Glancing back, she stared at her son. Roman had that hangdog look of a convicted horse thief. And rightly so. For heaven's sake, stealing a motorcycle, a dirt bike, whatever, and then riding it through the hallway at his school? Who does that? Lord knows she has her hands full just trying to keep her job as a nurse. She knew she was drinking too much. No big revelation there. But God damn it. She had to have her pills. She didn't know what she'd do without them. Her job at the hospital provided her that easy access she had to have. And now this. Mm, That boy was going to be the death of her. As Roman shut the car door and stared at his shoes, Morris said, And just what were you trying to accomplish with a stunt like that, young man? I don't know. Do you have any idea how close you came to being charged back there? To going to jail? And then what? I don't know. I swear, Roman, you're on my last nerve. Roman just sat there, staring at the floorboard, mentally trying to teleport himself like Captain Kirk or Spock did. Beam me up, Scotty, any place but here. So what, you have nothing to say? Do you think I'm going to just let you stay home alone while I'm at work? After you've been suspended, expelled, who knows what? I can't deal with you right now. After several days of the parental units arguing what's best for Roman, Robin Moore had decided to put him on a Greyhound bus headed to Florida to spend some quality time with his aunt and uncle, his cousins, on the family farm. Maybe some hard manual labor would be good for the boy, Rob said. Do a little work under that scorching summer sun picking tobacco and watermelons would be just what the doctor ordered. It straightened him out. As he sat in the aisle seat about halfway down the bus, with two seats to his right empty, he thought that might deter any unwanted passengers to join him. It didn't work. After ten hours of having the aisle to himself, the next stop on what Roman figured was the milk run, they seemed to be pulling into every one-horse town between Chicago and Atlanta. A disheveled man in his mid-twenties got on and took the seat directly across the aisle from Roman. Roman gave him the once-over and lumped the new passenger into the weirdo pile of judgment calls. An hour hadn't gone by before the man proved Roman correct. The new passenger got up and went to the back into the toilet, where he stayed in Roman's opinion for quite a long time. Roman wondered if he had fallen asleep in there. When the man came out, he walked past Roman 
and took another seat one row ahead and to Roman's left. The man squeezed past the chubby middle-aged guy to sit down next to. Roman thought that was kind of strange, since before the man had the entire row to himself. Why would he want to squeeze in next to someone else? Go figure, Roman thought. People were nuts. It wasn't two minutes later, the man started talking nonsense to Chubby, and bam, in a blink of an eye, disheveled man punched Chubbs in the face. Who knew why? Probably for no reason at all, Roman guessed. The bus pulled over along a country highway, two sheriff's deputies came on, and then drugged the man off and put him in the back of their patrol car. Just another day on this here Greyhound, Roman heard an old woman mutter behind him. They not all locked up, you know. When the bus pulled into the small town of Branch Creek, Roman was sore and stiff for sitting all that way from Chicago. His Aunt Mary and Cousin Rita, two years older, were standing in front of their pickup truck waiting for him. Well, 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 look what the cat done drug in. The city slicker has finally arrived, Rita piped in. Once they had arrived back at the family farm, Aunt Mary had made quick work to earn his keep. The following day, he was awakened at four in the morning. What the hell, Roman muttered. Get your butt up, his aunt said, flipping on the light in the sewing room now converted into Roman's bedroom. Get you some breakfast. There's biscuits and gravy on the stove. It's going to be a long day for you, boy, no doubt. Donnie, Rita's older brother, was sitting in his truck waiting to take Roman out and introduce him to the wild and wonderful world of pulpwood. Cutting down pine trees to truck over to the pulpwood mill, Aunt Mary had packed him a lunch and thrust a thermos of coffee in his hands. Go on and get, she barked at Roman. Still half asleep, rubbing his eyes, Roman walked out into the still blackness of the cold and foggy early morn. Get your ass in the gear, boy, Donnie yelled. We ain't got all day. As Roman sat in the passenger seat, bouncing up and down on the rough country dirt road, Donnie told him what he was going to be doing for his foreseeable future. Donnie and his brother Danny, yep, that's right, leased land and grew pine trees. Once they had grown to a certain size or diameter, usually greater than four inches thick, they came in with a crew known as pulpwooders, and with chainsaws in hand, they'd cut down all the flag trees of appropriate size, remove the limbs, slice up into six-foot sections, and that's where Roman came in. Roman's job was to stack up those freshly cut six-foot sections of pine and stack them into cords. Cords of raw wood, or pine, are stacks about four feet wide by four foot tall and six to eight foot in length, or 128 cubic feet of pine stacked together. Each cord weighs roughly 2,000 pounds. As soon as the sun began to climb over the horizon, the chainsaws erupted to life, running nonstop all morning until they were silenced for about an hour at noon while the crew ate lunch. 
At one o'clock, they roared back to life, cutting down the pine until the sun faded away and it was too dark to work. Otherwise, the sound of chainsaws filled Roman's ears all day. The crew, as they were known, were just a ragtag bunch of men, as far as Roman could tell, looked to be anywhere between 18 and 40 years old, maybe a few older. Fresh out of jail, on probation, or recently paroled from the state penitentiary. Hardened cons with nowhere else to go. Tattoos covered their bare arms and necks. Their clothes were dirty and tattered. Roman wasn't allowed to touch the chainsaws. Donnie said, Hell fucking no, boy. Your only job at the moment is to pick up the wood and stack it in the cords. Got it, boy? I got enough trouble with the rest of these boneheads cutting themselves up. I can't have you cutting off your leg. Mama would kill me. Roman could certainly understand that after witnessing one of the guys laying a still-running chainsaw on his thigh to light up a smoke, all it took was a second. The unlucky fool was rushed to the hospital where he received where he received about a hundred stitches. We never saw him again. By the time Donnie dropped Roman off at Aunt Mary's, it was eight o'clock at night. Mary told him to leave your dirty clothes outside on the porch and she'd wash them in the morning. Roman stared at his chest and stomach, covered in that sticky sap of the pine. No amount of scrubbing with soap would remove it. Mary handed him a can of turpentine and an old cloth. Here you go. Only thing that'll take it off. Just wash up after, otherwise it's going to burn your skin. Hurry up now. I made a plate for you. Get some sleep and you'll be waking yourself up from now on. I put an alarm clock by the bed. 4 a.m. is going to come mighty early. And that was his nightly ritual. Scrub the pine sap off his body with turpentine. Wash down out in the yard with lye soap and a hose. Eat a plate of leftovers and go to bed. Get up the next day. Rinse and repeat. After a month of laboring away six days a week, then church on Sunday, which was mandatory if Roman wanted to live in Mary's house, she's a God-fearing woman. Donnie handed Roman an envelope stuffed with cash. What's this? Roman asked. It's your pay, boy. What do you think? You earned it. Mama told me if you lasted a week to go on and put you on the payroll. Four hundred a week for stacking the cords. That's $1,600 there. If I was you, I'd stick that in the bank. Or you can blow it on beer, whatever. We always need some dumbass kid to stack pine. Roman had never held that much money in his hands, ever. Yes, sir, Roman replied. Thanks. Don't need to thank me, boy. You earn every penny. How about we get you trained up on that chainsaw tomorrow? Move up a notch. Start as a trimmer. The trimmer position was the guy who came after the pine trees were felled and removed all the limbs. It was the first rung of the chainsaw operator ladder, and Roman was stunned to be getting promoted. On day three of Roman's new position as trimmer, He had just finished trimming a pine when he caught a glimpse of movement from the corner of his eye. 
While working on a particularly swampy section of the woods, his boots were submerged in swamp water. Roman jumped in surprise as a big old water moccasin was headed straight for him. God damn, Roman yelled. But his voice was drowned out by the symphony of sounds in the pine forest. Chainsaws, swamp buggies, picking up cords and loading the trailers of the pulpwood trucks. Nobody heard Roman yell or holler. Roman stared in amazement as a full-grown snake came straight towards him. Why wasn't that damn snake afraid of all the noise, Roman wondered. Just as the water moccasin coiled, preparing to strike, its mouth opened wide. Roman just squeezed the trigger of his chainsaw and thrust the spinning teeth into the snake's open mouth. Its head disintegrated in a split second. Now I know why their nickname is Cottonmouth, Roman thought. As he recalled how white the inside of the water moccasin's mouth had been when he pushed the chainsaw inside. Just like Cotton. Now he's paranoid to death of more snakes coming up on him while his back was turned. Roman found it hard to concentrate on his work. Luckily for Roman, he didn't need to worry much longer. The last lot of pine had been harvested and there wasn't any more pulpwood work on the calendar. Though Roman wasn't without a job for very long. As the school year was beginning and Roman was enrolled as a freshman at the local high school, Cousin Danny put Roman to work at one of his two Texaco gas stations. The Texaco in town was managed by a kid not much older than Roman. Charlie was 19 and up to his neck in rebuilding his 1957 Chevy Bel Air that he kept in one of the two bays of the station. Roman looked up at the big neon Texaco sign, that red star flickering on and off, and definitely approved. Benny Atkins was looking for a fall guy when he ran into Roman at the Texaco. They both attended the same high school and knew each other by reputation only. Benny was a junior, and Roman was barely hanging in there as a freshman. Benny had a rich daddy who owned a liquor distribution company. And he drove last year's model Chevy Silverado. Had big, fat street drag tires and Krager SS rims, souped-up engine and a sound system that could be heard in the next county. Roman was in love with that truck. And Benny also seemed to have a never-ending supply of pills. Roman imagined Benny to be his nearly perfect best friend. Benny thought Roman to be the perfect guy for what he needed. It was shaping up to be a day just like every other day at the Texaco station. Roman unlocked the Coca-Cola machine that sat out front, pulled open the door that behind held ice-cold bottles of Coke grape knee-high and orange crush. Next to the change receptacle, Charlie hid a bottle of Mad Dog 2020. Roman pulled out the chilled booze and took a long swig, stuck it back in, wiped his mouth. Man, that hit the spot. Roman was making a few extra bucks detailing Mrs. Whitehouse's Buick Park Avenue which he had recently started as a great way to get access to a vehicle, which meant a little more freedom. 
now that Charlie never let him drive that 57 Chevy any longer, since he was using it to stash copious amounts of pot. Young Charlie was making more money under the Texaco Star from his weed enterprise than Cousin Danny was from selling the gas. Roman couldn't believe it when he happened upon Charlie's stash. While in the back room of the gas station, searching for an air filter for a customer's car, Roman looked, he looked inside an unmarked box and discovered several baggies of what looked like weed, all equally proportioned. Holy shit. It had to be Charlie's, Roman thought. Later that afternoon, Roman went full-on recon mode and searched every inch of the back room and garage looking for any further stash. But nothing. Pinched a small amount from each baggie, not enough to be suspicious to cause any alarm or be missed. And he called it a banner of a day. While sitting in the front, leaning his chair up against the wall, dreamily flipping through the pages of the latest Motor Trend magazine, Roman heard a honking sound far off in the distance, or so he thought. As the car squealed out of the pumps and the ding-ding of the sensor hose went off, alerting anyone in the station that a car had just pulled in, Roman looked up and realized he had just missed a customer. Whoa, I'm stoned as hell, Roman whispered and started to laugh. That freaking skunkweed is some creeper shit for sure. Man, it packed a powerful wallop. He was determined to not make the same mistake twice and straightened up so he wouldn't miss any more customers. Car pulled up then and Charlie got out of the passenger side then motioned for the driver to pull into the open bay of the garage. Old change, Roman guessed. But then less than ten minutes later, the car pulled out and drove off with Charlie inside. What the hell, Roman was wondering. That wasn't nearly enough time for an oil change. Where was Charlie going anyway? Roman walked into the garage bay and looked around. No signs of Charlie starting an oil change was found. Hmm. Roman looked into the front of Charlie's 57 Chevy. He didn't see anything unusual. And then he scanned the back seat as well. Roman spotted a green army duffel bag laying on the floor and it looked like it was full of something. Roman pulled gently on the door handle, recalling Charlie's warning not to touch his car unless he was looking to get his ass kicked. Only if you catch me, Roman was thinking. The door clicked open. He reached down and hefted the duffel bag. Christ, it was heavy as hell. Roman quickly unclicked the clip, securing the top, and looked inside. Holy mother of perpetual hell! He thrust his hand deep inside the bag, and all he felt was baggies and baggies of weed. Just like what he had found earlier only a hundred times more. Oh hell, the shit is on now, Roman was thinking. And he began to pinch some grass out of every single baggie. By the time it was all said and done, Roman had two shoebox-sized containers filled with Mary Jane and a smile a mile wide on his stupid face. How could he had ever known that he was working for one of the biggest, biggest pot dealers in the South? 
Charlie moved several duffel bags of weed, just like the one Roman had found through the Texaco gas station every month. People would pull in for oil changes and fill her up. Oil, gas, and ganja. Roman was just finishing up a little doobie that he had pinched from Charlie's stash as he wiped down the interior of the Park Avenue. It was a very sweet ride, Roman thought, though not his style or first choice. For the money, speaking of, he found a crumbled $5 bill between the electric seat and the console. Payday, bitches! Roman had pinched quite a lot from Charlie's stash over the past couple of months. The more Charlie squirreled away in the back of his hot rod, the more Roman squirreled away for himself. At last count, he had accumulated almost three pounds of the potent pot, which he had kept hidden deep inside the fold-out sofa he slept on at Aunt Mary's. The Buick Park Avenue was parked in front of the coin-operated vacuum station on the opposite side where the garage bays were located. Roman had already vacuumed the floorboards and was almost finished wiping the dashboard, just daydreaming about a girl in his class. Hey, you deaf or what? I said fill her up, dipshit. <laughs> Vern chuckled to his buddy sitting in Vern's mom's car with his dumbass grin plastered on their pimply covered faces. Fucking Vern, Roman said under his breath. Fucking Vern, you fat ass little weasel. The big Park Avenue sedan was already idling. Roman had left it running while he vacuumed so he could feel the ice-cold A.C. since it was hot as balls that afternoon. Roman didn't know why he did it, he just did it. He dropped the Park Avenue into a drive and pushed down on the gas pedal. The massive V8 lunged the Buick forward quicker than Roman had anticipated. In the blink of an eye, the car had jumped the ten feet that had separated Roman and Vern. Roman slammed on the brake and put it in park. He'd only meant to scare Vern, not actually hit the dumb shit. Vern screamed in pain or from the shock of what had just happened. You hit me! You fucking hit me! You... Vern was screaming at the top of his lungs. Roman jumped out of the sedan and ran around to the front of the car to check on Vern. Roman couldn't see any damage to the Park Avenue grill or the bumper. That was good. He looked at Vern, writhing around on the ground like a snake had been run over. Stop your whining, pussy. You're not even bleeding or anything. Vern got up and brushed himself off, pushing Roman away from him. Get off of me, you fucking crazy. You know that? Fuck you. From out of nowhere, Roman heard, Cool your jets, dude. Benny said as he walked up from the other side of the gas pumps where he had pulled up and sat there and watched Vern almost become roadkill. It was just an accident, I'm sure, right? Benny looked at Roman. Yeah, it, it just slipped in the gear. I don't know what happened. Roman replied, staring back at Benny. Where the hell did you come from? Roman wondered. Benny was looking at Vern with his palms out in such a way as if to say, You want to make more out of this than you can handle? Vern hustled back to his car, jumped in, flipped Roman the universal symbol to fuck off, and peeled out from the Texaco. Hey, you got any plans tonight? Benny asked him. Not that I'm aware of, Roman replied, looking at Benny, not quite sure what he had in mind. Great, I'll swing by around closing. We can grab a few beers, smoke some dope, maybe find Vern and his friends and try to run him over again, Benny smiled and hands Roman a $20 bill for the gas. 
Roman just stared at him. Benny laughed and climbed back inside his jet-black beauty of a ride and drove off in a hail of dust as the Silverado's hopped-up engine roared like a wounded beast. Roman watched Benny drive away and couldn't help but think maybe things were starting to line up. Yep, they definitely seemed to be. Thank you for listening to Shadow Life, The Roman Files. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please consider clicking on the Support the Show button and make a small donation. A portion of the proceeds will go to those in need of mental health services like The Trevor Project and Brain and Behavioral Research Foundation.